0: I'm in a series on the Trinity right now, kind of a sub-series of our overarching theme. And we've been talking about how Jesus is going to build His church, His promise. And as part of that, we understand that the God who builds His church, builds His church in the way that he is or according to his nature and so we're looking at the triune nature of god to see how it is that he is building his church in the first week of this sub uh, series on the trinity we talked about the trinity and revelation how god throughout the old testament reveals himself as one deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 and 5 says hear o israel the lord our god The Lord is one. And he does throughout the New Testament, he reveals himself as one. And we talked about how the reason he's done that is because he's speaking this revelation into a world of plurality and pantheism. In other words, people are assigning a God to everything and worshiping everything as a God. And God says, no, that's false worship, that's idolatry, and he reveals himself as one. Now, we know that God the Son, Jesus Christ, uh, who is not created but begotten, the New Testament tells us, already existed with the Father, and God the Holy Spirit already existed with the Father. We just didn't know them as we know them today. And so when we come to the New Testament, Jesus is born. He's the Son of God. He teaches that. He demonstrates that. And when we come to these chapters in the Gospel of John, what we're going to see is at the end of Jesus' ministry, we see that Jesus begins to teach how the revelation of God in real time is being unfurled so that we can follow God. Remember, we said that the Bible doesn't present the Trinity of God as a concept for us to intellectually entertain, but rather it presents the Trinity of God as a revelation for us to believe, embrace, and join and there's a big difference in that. We're not studying theory, we're looking at the move of God in real time in the world. And that's why it's so important for us today. We talked about after the Trinity and Revelation, how in God's revelation He calls us to respond to Himself. And we, we looked at the centrality of the Word, we saw how His revelation brings us into communion with Him through the death of Jesus on the cross, and that communion leads us To serve Him with our lives. And so today I want us to look at the Trinity community and mission. And just like worship and service, I want us to see that community and mission aren't just tack-ons. Good ideas for the church to do to keep them occupied and busy until Jesus gets back. But rather for us to build in our lives as we build our lives in practices and in rhythms that represent the very nature of God in His triune nature Himself. Here's what I want you to see today. That God shapes His people by His triune nature for righteousness as He leads them in mission. God shapes His people by His triune nature for righteousness as He leads them in mission. Now, as I said, Jesus' fullest teaching on the Trinity is is really in John 13 through 17. And let me give you kind of a a run-up to chapter 17. If you'll remember in John 13, he's just finished the Lord's Supper and instituting this remembrance of his sacrifice that is about to take place on the cross. And it tells us that after dinner, he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist And everybody in the room got really nervous because the God of all creation is about to wash their feet. Some of them even disagreed, you shouldn't wash my feet, I should wash yours. And Jesus said, no, I'll wash your feet. And so they had this powerful moment, this powerful image of Jesus washing their feet, branded on their hearts and on their minds to see how Jesus desires to serve them with his life and ultimately with his death. After that, John records that Jesus begins to teach on what will take place after he ascends back into heaven. So chapter 14 and chapter 15 and 16 begin to teach about the Holy Spirit, the one he will send who will lead them and guide them, who will comfort them and counsel them when Jesus is gone. And so we see his teaching here and and how the Holy Spirit will work within them to bring them into deeper communion, John chapter 15, abide in me, and then into faithfulness in mission, John chapter 16. And so we see that Jesus is preparing the disciples to follow him after his ascension back into heaven with a Trinitarian understanding of God, that God is one, He is one God in three persons and he wants them to receive the Holy Spirit as they have received him because the Spirit will bring God's people into communion with God and the oneness that they enjoy among the three persons of God as they are one. And then chapter 17 where we come to today, we find this prayer that Jesus prays for the disciples. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, I'm going to draw out some verses that I want to use to kind of illustrate the greater teaching of the chapter. But I want you to understand that that prayer transcends beyond just those disciples that were listening to Jesus pray on that day. Rather, it transcends to all Christ followers of all times. And we see His desire and how it is that He reveals God's triune nature to form Christian community and mission in this world. And what I want you to see today is three purposes. Three purposes that God shapes the church by his triune nature in community and mission. Let me first of all read for you in verse 3 of John chapter 17. Jesus prays this, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friends, the first reason, the first purpose that God shapes the church by his triune nature in community and mission is to establish our new identity in his love. To establish our new identity in his love. You see, God shapes the Christian's new identity by uniting us with the church. God is the one, the Bible tells us in Genesis, who created us. God is the one by his son, Jesus Christ, who redeems us. That in Genesis, God, when he formed man in his own image, in the way that he did not form anything else in creation, he breathed his breath into the nostrils of man to bring him to life. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that when he redeems us, he breathes his spirit into us to make us alive with God through Christ Jesus. He is our creator and our redeemer. He formed us in his image that we might know him, and he regenerates us by his spirit to live with him. I say all of this to say this to each of us. We are relational beings. The very way in which we are created and the purpose for which we are redeemed is to satisfy our longings in the fullness of God. You see, Christians no longer look to the world to find their sense of identity, their sense of meaning, their sense of purpose or significance, but God ordains the church to be that first relational place for our new identity to become fully known, that we are His and He is ours. You may remember that when I first began this Build series, we talked about Jesus' promise to build His church. And then the first sub-series that I went into was the four pillars of our church, the core values. And what did I say about those, about uh, what it means to know God in relationship and to live in the expression of our life, to to build and grow an authenticity of our identity in Christ and to live on mission for Him. What did I say about those? But that they were pillars that are founded upon the establishment or the foundation of the gospel, but that they raise the reality, the relational reality of the gospel into relational space so people can connect with God through Jesus Christ by faith and the work that he is doing by the Holy Spirit through his church. God wants your identity as a Christian to be deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ by identifying and participating in the reality of the local church. You were designed, created, formed, redeemed, and purposed for relationship with God. And until, hear me, until you live in a personal relationship with God by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the longings of your life will never be satisfied. They will drive you to worship false gods, to pursue false pleasures, and to believe Each of those, in its time and in its own way, will destroy you. Some little by little, some great gains each at a time. But what Jesus is teaching us in John 17 is that he wants to establish our new identity among his people in the church. God ordains the church to be the first relational place for us to know Our new identity. We are his and he is ours. And so he shapes that identity by uniting us with the church. But I don't know about you, I I grew up in the church. Sometimes that was good for me and sometimes it was not so good for me. Probably good for me long term but not in the immediate moment. Here's what I learned in church life though. You get three people that are Christians in the room, you inevitably end up with five opinions. That's church, right? I mean, that's the reality of it. You don't talk about the practical nature of it. So God doesn't just get us together. He brings us together. And that's the beauty of what he's doing by revealing his triune nature and community and mission to establish our new identity in love. That he brings us together. But listen, he also gathers us to himself. God identifies the Christians as the church By gathering us to himself. Friends, God saved you to make you one of his people. He saved you individually to bring you into a new corporate, congregational, plural identity. That we as God's people might live in such a way on the earth to proclaim the excellencies of his glory in the world. You see, community is about our Gatherings. Now I want you to understand I'm not talking about community groups and we're not going to have a sign up for community group today, though you can sign up anytime for community if you're not in it. I'm talking about the broader strokes of what God is trying to accomplish through the fellowship of the church body and community as a whole. It is essential because people know whether we believe what we claim by Seeing by witnessing whether or not we live it out in our life. And when God gathers us in community, we begin to display the confession that Jesus is Lord and we declare the witness to the world that He is, in fact, glorious and worthy of our worship. You see, that's the value of the gathering of God's people. So God not only brings us together, but He gathers us at His throne in worship and in community. You see, Christian community in worship and in groups is not like anything else in life. As we saw, our worship brings God's love down through the gospel in what I'll call real spiritual manifestation. In other words, in very real practical ways. And He fills us with the Spirit. And then in community, so so whether it's in the aisles in the worship room or in the community room or whether it's in someone's living room where the community group is forming or whether it's around a campfire or over a cup of coffee where the church is gathering in that fellowship and in that community, what happens is the spiritual manifestation through God's revelation that comes down is now being spread Spread out among the church and, and worked into the lives, into the hearts, where the questions about God are being asked and where the difficulties with God are being confronted and where the unbelief in God is being dealt with. That's what God is doing through this spiritual manifestation, making real what he has made known. Worship we receive God's revelation from the Word. We respond in communion with Him to let Him speak that He can transform our life by His truth. And in community, we apply the revelation of that Word to permeate into our lives, not only to speak to the actions of what we ought to do, but rather to address the position of the heart for the why and why does it matter and want and whether we want to worship God or That's the the comprehensive nature of truth, how it transforms. God doesn't only convict us of the right way, but rather He convinces our heart that He is right in who He is. How powerful He is in this way. God ordains our gatherings as instrumental and essential for His will and for His work in our lives. You see, in worship, it originates in community. It disseminates. In worship, He reveals. In community, He deploys. In worship, He facilitates. In community, He implements. Leslie Nubenson, evangelical theologian of the 20th century, says this, There is no true giving of self to Christ which does not at the same time a giving of self to those for whom Christ died let me tell you the blessing of community and the reason God reveals himself as triune through community and mission is because God brings you among his people and unites you with his people by working his will and his ways out in your life through his people how important this is for our life christians look most like god when we are gathered, centered on his word, loving God in worship and loving one another through community. What a beautiful image this is for us. And it develops or it establishes the first purpose that God shapes the church by his triune nature to establish our new identity in his Love. Now this leads immediately to the second purpose which now becomes so important that our new identity forms and strengthens and grows by active participation in his body. The second purpose that God reveals and shapes the church by his triune nature and community and mission is to make us one. He gets us together, he's going to bring us together too and how important that is. I'm going to read for you verses six through eight to begin, and then verse 11 and 14. Verse six through eight, Jesus prays this for the disciples. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Jesus is praying to the Father here. And they have what? Kept your word, Now I want you to watch in these verses the central nature of the word of God. That's the revelation from God and what takes place as the word is held central among the people, among their gatherings and in their lives. Verse 7, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. How did all that happen? He gave us the word. Revelation. Revelation. That brought them into communion, and through the communion of worship brings us into community with one another. That's what was taking place in real time in the first century and what takes place in real time among God's people even today in the 21st century. Go with me now to the second part of verse 11. He continues to pray and he, he culminates and he says this, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 14, he says, I have given them your word. And then verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Friends, God shapes the church by his triune nature in community and mission to make us one. Now, we see it all over the place today, but I want to make a bold statement to you today. Community is not a social construct of the world. It's a creational construct of God and the way He created us and the very reason for which He created us. Christian community is designed to display the gospel and its power before the whole world and, and that making us holy as God does by His work before God also unites us with each other in Christ Jesus. Augustine, the great theologian of the Uh, Fourth century said this, that Trinity is God's love story. It's a lover, it's the beloved, and it is the love that they share. What a beautiful picture of the church and what God is doing among us by His triune work in us. We are created for one defining relationship of life And when we live that relationship in Christian community, it becomes for us a living narrative, a living story of God's love in real time. Because what God does is He unites the church in the gospel to demonstrate this that He's one. When people look at the church, you go, How could those people ever decide anything together, let alone even get along? They're so different. Because it's not about each and every one of us. It's about Him. And He's the reason we gather. He is the one we worship. God makes us one. How? Well, we saw by centering us on His Word. Revelation is what forms community. You go, well, what's an illustration of that, Pastor? The fact that you heard from God and you believed in Him. You put your faith in Jesus Christ for your sins to be forgiven. Immediately, God saves you and he brings you into community. Revelation forms community. The study of information will grow us. It will even affect change within us. But it cannot do what God's truth alone can do. That's transform us. And why is that? Because the truth of God, as Jesus says here, permeates at a deeper level into our life, to the very core of our being, and at that point, God's truth transforms the very nature of who we are. That's why we enjoy fellowship and communion with God. Because no no longer are we identified as sinners, but rather we become saints because of Jesus. I know that makes some of you uncomfortable, doesn't it? I say that for myself as much as anyone. But that's what God says about us. That because of the blood of Jesus that forgives your sins and cleanses you from your sins, you are brought not only onto the property of God, but to the table with God as his own child. This is God's love story. This is what we learn in community. Friends, a a community that stays centered on God's word are a people that live in transformation mode expecting and anticipating the transformation that only God can bring because we're centered on His Word. And when we center on His Word, He grows us in godliness through His Word. It is by the Word that He transforms our heart. And it is by His Word that He conforms us to His will. Let me give a personal testimony very briefly here. I do every day of my life what I publicly declared I never wanted to do and would never do. My mother told me since I was a little boy, you're going to be a preacher one day. And I said, over my dead body, and you know what? I had to die for it to happen. that's a death I've never gotten over. God changes lives not by just making us do something we don't want to do, but by making us new, by knowing something for us that is from Him. That's what salvation is all about, friends. Being made new in Him, he, he, he changes us and He conforms our life to His will as the greatest joy of our lives. We learn the practical purpose of God's Word and how God works the Word in us to, to grow us in godliness. And you know where we learn that? Who better to learn from than Jesus himself? We learn it in his life of human living upon the earth. And Hebrews tells us in chapter 2 and in chapter 5 that Jesus, the Son of God, you hear me? He learned obedience. He learned, you know what that tells me? That godliness is a process, friends. It's not a point of arrival. It's a process that that Jesus, who was human and who knew no sin, was was without sin and perfect in his life. But he learned obedience. Why? Through what he suffered. That's what Hebrews tells us. And then it tells us that even the Son of God was made perfect as a man through what he suffered. Listen, friends, we can celebrate the process of our growth in godliness because even Jesus walked through that process. And because he did, he can sympathize with us in our own process, in our own failures, in our own temptations, even in our own successes and victories and that that's how God is is shaping you that's how God is making you that the word of God is getting into you and and he is working in you at a level that nothing else in this world can work in you listen to what one pastor said about this over time we as the people of God discover more about him so that our understanding of his nature grows as our experience of his work of redemption unfolds. I love that picture. It frees us not to perform for God, but just to receive what he has for us. I love this because as I think about the life of our church Some of my greatest growth personally and individually and yea even as a pastor has been through watching God change the lives of people. Not just because I love watching God change lives but because I learn how he's changing my life by watching him change other people's lives. And every story is a story of miraculous transformation from death to life because he came and lived and died for us and lives again. That's what he is praying here, that these stories would be told over and over and over again of the gospel's power to bring life where there is death only. And through those stories, we would not only see that and celebrate it, but it would enact even greater transformation and change within us. That's what the church is all about. As we celebrate the gospel, we witness its power to change lives. And this changes us because, as that pastor said, we come to know and understand God ever more and in an increasing manner as we watch Him work. You just never get over God transforming lives. Friends, faithful participation in community produces growth and godliness for the Christian. Every time, sometimes we see it, and sometimes it seems so microscopic, we just overlook it. But none of it is unimportant. All of it is the work of God. You know what? You'll never get more of God by investing less in the church. That's what the Trinity teaches us. You'll never experience deeper communion with God who invites you for more by giving him less of who you are. The more of your life that you give to the Lord, the more life he will give to you in the spiritual manifestation, in the practical, ongoing, outworking of his godliness, making you more and more into his image of Christ in you. Growth in godliness and unity in the church, they are the distinct work of the triune God making us one as he makes us more like the God who is one. The third purpose I want to share with you today is this, that God shapes the church by his triune nature in community and mission to send us into the world. Not only to establish our new identity, not only to make us one, but as a church to send us into the world. Verse 18 of John 17 says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Community among the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity, forms the mission as the full revelation of God. Think about this. As we come to know God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and as we see the united community of who God is in His three-person, it forms the full revelation of His mission in the world. And friends, that's where we come in. That's where Jesus prayed that we would be one because of the work that God is doing. The perfection of the Trinity's work comes from the perfect oneness of the Trinity's relationship. In other words, community among the Trinity perfects the mission of the Trinity. They worked in perfect unity because they lived in perfect unity. That's what Jesus said. Help them to know that we are one and make them one with us in this world. You see, friends, Christian community, I told you a while ago, uh, community is not a social construct. Christian community is not like community in the world. We see in our day and time that everyone and everything claims community today. You you find it in your workplace, you find it in your recreation place, you find it in your neighborhood, and in a very real way, I validate those things. We should have a sense of community in this world in the different places and in the different rhythms in which we live, and that's fine. But that doesn't replace Christian community for you, and let me help you understand why, if Establishing your identity and growing you in godliness is not enough of a reason why. Because here's what happens in the world's community. For in the world where we are more connected, more instantaneously than ever before, statistics tell us we are more isolated, we are more lonely, and we are more ridden by the lostness because of our anxiety. People make us more anxious about ourselves at least statistically speaking, than ever before in our connectedness. Seems to me, if that's the community that the world forms, that shouldn't it provide just the opposite of that? And yet that's what we've seen. It tells us that the whole world is on a mission for community. Everybody's longing for it. Everybody wants it but the church is not like the world. The Bible tells us that because of Jesus Christ and our faith in him, we are called out from the world to live separate from the world, to live distinct. And I don't mean separated from, but to live distinct for the one in whom we live. We live separate and distinct because of Who he is, our new identity, because of all that he's done and is doing, our growing in godliness. And listen, because of Jesus, our distinctiveness in him, we are made certain of who we are. We are consumed with a love that is far beyond the world and its offerings. We are convicted by the truth that leads us and guides us, not only in holiness and righteousness, but also out of sin and in the judgment between the two. And ultimately, we are so Filled to overflowing, that the Bible says we are compelled by this love that has captured us. This is the community that we enjoy, friends. The church is not a mission of community, but it is a community of mission. And what I mean in saying that is that God in his triune perfect love for us has gathered us and is making us that he would send us to tell the whole world about his love. He gathers us in order to send us. We're not looking for something we don't have. We're learning to live in the one who has us. That's what Christian community is all about. It is the living demonstration of God's triune love for the God who is love, set his love on us, sets forth his love through us, that he could send his love to the whole world because of us. This is how community forms mission. The world ought to look at the church. You might want to buckle your seatbelt for this one. The world ought to look at the church community and go, I want to be loved like they are loved. The world ought to see what we have and hear about what we have and want it because they see that they desire it. The world should not just hear from us how wrong they are. They don't need us telling that. They know how broken they are, and they're looking for the fix in everything. Just like you and I were, and sometimes too often are, even as believers. But the world ought to look at what we have, not because we're perfect. God said we're holy and blameless before Him. We're still really real before the world, but loved nonetheless and the world should look at the love that has us that we have and say i want that that's mission friends that's the work of the triune god among his people in the world, and we strengthen and we grow our relationship with God by working out, by sharing the gospel with one another, by reminding one another of how we live in the love of God, and by proclaiming to share with others how they too can enjoy such a love. If you can imagine a place where you are loved, where you are accepted, and every time you show up, you add value. I can't even claim that about my own house. Right? I don't doubt being loved and accepted, but sometimes I doubt how much value I add when I show up. But what if the world looked at the church and said, you know, that's a bunch of messed up people. But man, they know a love that I don't know. They have a stability of acceptance in that love that I've never experienced. And every time they go, they are welcomed. They add value to that place because of the way people embrace them. Can you imagine that? Friends, I'm going to tell you the world is dying to imagine that. The church shouldn't have to imagine that. We ought to be immersing our life in it evermore, day after day, week after week. That's the work of our triune God among us. Christian mission begins in uniting with Jesus by uniting with one another in community. I need to land this quickly, but I want to say something about the last sermon in Trinity that I preached on worship and service. In the last sermon, we studied a couple of weeks ago how it is that God set his love on us in salvation through the doctrine of election. Now, I didn't spend a whole sermon on it, but I introduced it, and I know When you use that word and a couple of other words that in more greater ways describe it and define it for us, you create turmoil in the church. I get that. A little bit of that we need. The wrong amount of that, we do not need that, and I have no desire for that. But I'm not going to skip over hard words when the Bible sets them forth for us. The greatest debate in our world today, I believe, regarding election, arises from a completely wrong understanding of it. When we see our lives as the final object of God's electing love, we use God's love in a way He never intended it to be used. We are not the final object of. Christians are not the object, finally, of God's love We are the conduit. It is not for God's love to flow to us, but for God's love to flow through us. We are not merely recipients of God's love, but we are carriers of the nation. And people that get near to us ought to get infected with the love that we're carrying. That's the purpose that the scriptures give to us. God set his love on us, Christian, in election, and he authorized us. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore you go. He set his love upon us in election. He authorized us in commission, and he fills us to be a divine lover in the world I so want to say this you ought to be a better lover because you're a member of life point the staff is going oh you are not about to go there we had this discussion a few weeks ago I'm going there I want to tell the world that if that if you will come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and become part of our church we're not perfect but we will make you a better lover I know you're all uncomfortable right now, but I'm telling you, friends, we know the greatest lover that ever lived. And it is not what the world thinks it is. It is far greater and more glorious than that. Friends, the purpose of God's electing love is not for our privilege. It is for the proclamation of of the gospel, God sets his love on his people that that love might be made known to every person on the face of the earth that ever walks there and they might hear of a love that they could only imagine and even more and hear the invitation that they too could come in and be loved in such a way that they couldn't fathom. That's Christian community that leads to mission. I'm going to ask the worship team to return as I conclude with this. You see, friends, Christian community launches us in mission by its centrifugal power. The stronger our community, the more impactful our mission will be. And we believe this. As a matter of fact, We introduce the covenant of our own church's membership in this way. I'm reading directly from it. When a person enters into relationship with God by grace through faith, they enter into two covenants. The first is to journey with God for the rest of their lives and to love him fully. The second is to journey with his children in a community of Christ followers called the local church. Church membership is the means of fulfilling the life God intended for you to live. And the purpose of the Life Point membership covenant is to join the Spirit in forming authentic community that reflects the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I don't know why you showed up today, but I can tell you this. I know why God's here. God, by His triune nature, is shaping us into a people to declare the glory and the excellencies of His love to each and every one of us and through us to a world that is dying to hear about it. Have you received God's love by repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus? Are you living in that love? you sharing that love in every way we